0: Hi again, it's me, Nick Gogol, and this is Radio Radio, the podcast, the podcast for people traveling across the country in recreational vehicles because they lost their jobs and they weren't expecting it. Uh, For those of you who are tuning in for a second week, uh, thank you very much for coming back. For people who are listening for the first time, um, you can go back and listen to the first episode It's not a huge backlog to get the uh, story before this, but basically, uh, so you maybe have heard of me because I used to be the host of a semi-national radio program called Good Morning Germanica, where uh, for a few years we were on the uh, WWJC MFD uh, network. And that came to a bit of an abrupt close, and since then, I've decided to work independently to start my own project that is this, Radio Radio, and in it, I'm going to be traveling around the country, I'm going to meet people, I'm going to see the sights, I'm going to find myself, and I'm going to find out a lot about you, I bet. Maybe not you specifically, but you know, the sort of general you that I can get a sense of by driving around for, I mean, who knows how long. So we've got a very exciting episode today. We. I've got a very exciting episode for you today. Um, We. I'm going to be introducing some new segments. Maybe it's appropriate, I said we. We're going to have some guests uh, offering their expertise and their time, and we're going to be hearing from them. I'm very excited. I've got some personal heroes contributing. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about the first days of my trip, although I promise that'll be brief, but just you know a little update for those of you who are interested in that. And then at the end of the episode, we're going to be playing a little game, um, and you can play along at home. Uh, Anyway, uh, thanks so much for listening, and let's start the episode. I was worn out after a long day on the road. I was worn out and I was lonely. I hadn't left my parents on good terms. My college roommate's been staying with my parents. He told me to stop being an idiot. He said he told me to look at what I was doing. It didn't make any sense. I hadn't left the Roberts on good terms either. I didn't prep the living room for a repaint at Monica Roberts' estate. I didn't prep any of it. I didn't lay any cloth. I didn't get the paint thinner. There's no going back now. I left the day I said I would. I kept that promise to myself and to you, listeners. That night I got to a town called Great Falls, Indiana. just sort of happened upon it. I was following signs that advertised a campground that could accept RVs. There was nobody else at the campground, and it was really more like an empty lot next to a double-wide trailer. There were two poolside-style chairs in the yard, and an older man was reclining in one. There was a little table in between the two chairs with three ashtrays on it. I pulled in, paid the man $25 for a night at the campground. He laughed when I asked him if there was a hookup for the waste tank for the RV. And, and that was that. That was my first interaction of the day. First time I spoke to another person. I went back into my RV. Dealt out hands of solitaire. One after another. Didn't win any. Eventually. Boredom and. Time got the best of me. I went back out trying to. Trying to find some company. And I found the man and. I asked him, I told him who I was a little bit, and asked him if he might want to do an interview. And here's what he said. Thank you for asking, but no. So I went back inside. I got settled in, laid myself out on the bed, and decided to read for a little while. finally settled on a book that had been recommended to me by my Kindle's Recommended for You section a few weeks back. It's a story of a justice of the peace at the turn of the 20th century who faces a crisis of conscience when two suspected cattle rustlers turn up at his courthouse, not to turn themselves in, to be wed to each other.
1: I call your bluff, so
0: come out. I slept hard that night. Maybe harder than I ever have, really. And in the morning, finally went outside. After I got myself cleaned up, I thought, maybe I'll take another run at that campground owner. See if maybe he's a little more open to talking now. Light of day. Here's what he had to say. <coughs> I think more than anything at this point, I just wanted something to eat. Didn't have that in the RV, so I had to head into town. Well, it looks like I'm on a little, uh, main street right now. Uh, lots of little shops, uh, pulling into a diner, it looks like. About three cars in the parking lot, and they're all trucks. It's right next door to a little antique shop I'm definitely gonna check out when I'm finished eating. You know, as I sit here in this restaurant, I'm thinking about this book I've been reading, that one about the justice of the peace. I got to the point where one of the cattle rustlers has been sentenced to hard labor, and the other one, who's the leader of the band of outlaws, has been sentenced to hang. And So I'm keeping that in mind, because I was just served a plate of dry eggs and home fries that look half raw. It was only four ninety nine, but I'm not really sure what I can do with this. There are a lot of people in this restaurant right now. A lot more than I would expect, considering how many trucks are in the parking lot. A few of them have been looking over their shoulder at me. I guess they're not used to outsiders coming in. Maybe that's the lesson that that book was trying to impart. Outsiders, you're not as welcome as you think you might be. Maybe that's me. Maybe my time in Great Falls is coming to an end. The antique store was a huge success. I don't want to give anything away just yet. You're going to hear about it later. But it was fantastic. So get ready for that. Oh my gosh. I haven't been this worked up in months. Okay. So uh, I am back in the RV. I've got my things loaded up. um, And I'm just about ready to get out of town. I... I wanted to stop for a minute to just think, you know, uh, this is the first town I stopped in, you don't get, there are no other first places on this journey, no first days, this is the only one I was gonna get, and you know, I didn't have it planned, and I gotta say, it went pretty well, I know I didn't have a full conversation with anyone apart from ordering a breakfast I ate half of, but I'm always going to have a special place in my heart for Great Falls, Indiana. And judging by the population sign when I rolled into town, I'm one of the few that does. Um, But I consider myself proud of it. And yes. Okay, so I'll just take a deep breath. Um, Just gonna, you know, take a minute to sit in this. And in the meantime, I'm really excited to introduce one of the new segments that uh, is going to be on this program, Radio Radio. And
2: that is coming up now. Enjoy. Well, it's about nine o'clock, and you know it's time for Tom Waits Cooking Hour. And we're going to be serving up a slice of something 45 years in the making ever since grandfather got back from the war. First, you're gonna need a glass of something lean and a meat that's just so fatty. You're gonna slap it down on your grill and lay down on top of the patty, feel it getting hot hot underneath your feet, and Barbara starts to call you from where she took her seat. Then you lay out a nice glass of Cabernet, that's for the cats and the dogs of the neighborhood when they come in and start to Of course, the first thing you need to do before you ever start cooking is make sure that your space is organized and that you have all the tools available, because once something gets put on a fire, you can't walk away from it. Now that we've got our meat cooking and our uh, veggies on the vine, well now we're going to start to have ourselves a real good time. Cooper lays down a bass, Hanson picks up his drum, pots start swaying all over and the people start to come. It's about 6.30, about half an hour after the invite said, which is a pretty appropriate time to show up to a dinner party. You don't want to show up too early and make your host uncomfortable. You want to give them enough space to really have time to prepare things. And now it's getting late and it's time for the cocktail hour. Put out whiskey, put out gin, give your sweetheart a little flour, and then make sure that nobody uh, is intoxicated when they drive home. This has been Tom Waits. Good night and eat tight.
0: I was preparing to leave Great Falls, Indiana for what I can only imagine will be the first and last time only an accident could bring me back to this place. I closed my eyes. I really felt my feelings in this moment. I whispered goodbye under my breath, and I heard a strange sound, a buzzing, getting louder and then softer and then suddenly stopping and then the same buzzing getting closer and further away moving from my right side to my left coming in closer seeming as though it's settled right next to my ear oh god get it off me no ah. Here. Here, take that. No, no. For about forty-five minutes, I've been trapped behind the privacy curtain in the back of the Mission Pangea in my bedroom area, hiding from a horsefly. Horseflies, though not usually considered deadly, can bite, and they're a lot larger than your common household fly. This particular horsefly. Seems to not respond to any commands, doesn't seem to be interested in anything to do with leaving my recreational vehicle, and so I had to call in some help. An old friend of mine from college, a professor actually, but we really became friends. I tended to become friends with a lot of my teachers. He has sent in a new segment that I'm so pleased to be introducing to you. Uh, Please... Uh, enjoy this uh, first edition of Reeducate Me, Father Figure.
1: The common horsefly, also known as the gadfly, is scientifically of the species Grossa, family Ippas, genus Ravenclaw. This not little enough bug can be found everywhere on Earth apart from in the Arctic and in the off-seasons on a few beautiful remote islands where they can however on occasion appear as the invited guests of somebody with the money, or the connections, or both of the above. Not dropping any names, just stating some facts I've heard. You may ask, is the horsefly very old? To give a little historical context, written references to the horsefly date back millennia and have since then been present in many of the best known works of literature, art, and film. For example, in Metamorphosis II by Jean-Paul Sartre, he tells the story of a Frenchman, a philosophy professor, in post-war Paris, who one day awakens to find that he is transformed into a horsefly, and who has become therefore much better looking than he was the night before. In another example, that of a comic play written thousands of years ago in ancient Greece. A horsefly is put on trial for stinging children, and being a horsefly is unable to mount a defense and persuade the court to release it. So the poor insect is doused with nectar and then crushed with the weight of a million. Well, it's a technical Greek term, but the closest translation that you would probably understand is that the horsefly was crushed with the weight of a million undergraduate theses. But enough about ancient history. What if you're choked with a horsefly? Now what? I am afraid, Nick, that the situation you find yourself in may be more grim than you realize. And this is why. Undiscovered, a horsefly can live indefinitely, I assume. But once it has been observed, the slow march of time starts for these strange beings. So unfortunately, I believe what you've stirred up in your studio is a previously undiscovered horsefly who, now that you've disturbed it, is being forced to come to terms with its own mortality. Do you understand? If I'm right, the solution to your problem will not be easy. Right now, the horsefly in your home feels death creeping up on it and is filled with dread, a relatively, impossibly mundane dread. But dread, nonetheless. If you want to deal with the situation proactively rather than waiting for the lifespan of the horsefly to run its natural course, then you have two options, in my professional opinion. Option 1. On the one hand, you can offer the horsefly a distraction. It's difficult to say what kind of distraction to offer without getting to know your horsefly first make the wrong choice and you'll lose all credibility with the horsefly, and any other suggestions you try to make after the first will be dismissed out of hand, even if the horsefly is already kind of into it, or has had good th- heard good things about it from other horseflies. It'll never say so, and you'll never be able to get the horsefly back on your side. To do this successfully, 1. If you can find where the horsefly was hanging out in your RV. You can try to get get a general sense of its style from there and suggest something specific. Maybe the horsefly has nested down in an unknown pleasures t-shirt, and based on that, you could occupy its attention with a playthrough of this nation's saving grace. Then, boom, mush it with a copy of The Stranger. 2. Alternatively, some have had success distracting horseflies from their deep, yawning dread by choosing a piece of popular media that can just fly right down the middle and appeal to all sorts of horseflies. If you want to try this, you just have to kind of hope that your particular fly isn't a complete contrarian. To put it simply, you could ask your horsefly if he wants to watch Ghostbusters. If the horsefly lands near you or your TV or your laptop, you could watch this movie, but first, gingerly put a beer down in front of it. But remain vigilant on the pause button, for the horsefly will get up several times during the movie for more beer, as it will want to make sure that it drinks at least as many, and most likely more, beers than you of the total beers available. The horsefly in its present condition will no longer be willing to risk missing out on a buzz for the sake of appearances. Then once a horsefly is good and buzzed, you'll know when this is because it will be flying into the bathroom at an increasing frequency, Just wait for it to come out one last time, and then mush it with the stranger. Three. Your final option, instead of distracting the horsefly with music or movies, is to overwhelm your horsefly. Here is one popular technique. One. Now that your horsefly is experiencing mortal dread, bring it to the refrigerator and offer it food. You'll see that the horsefly is conflicted, because the horsefly knows how to eat for pleasure, and knows, short of general, sort of generally, how to eat for health, but at this time it will whirr and rush from shelf to shelf trying to assemble food that won't sacrifice pleasure or health, and, unlike the previous two distraction methods, this will compound rather than reduce the dread the horsefly experiences. This horsefly will also experience a painful awareness of being watched, even though at some point you've probably walked away and started doing something else. This will not be a brief process, after all. Eventually the horsefly will put aside a vegetable or something for later, but for now we'll leave the mission Pangea on its own accord to go get chicken tacos, which are the healthiest kinds of tacos it knows. All that's left for you to do is just close the window behind it and your problem is solved. I will note, however, that some people are uncomfortable with passing their horsefly issue onto an unsuspecting taqueria, so the variation on this tactic is that you tell the horsefly that you're going to have an ice cream and offer the horsefly a bowl. This absolves the horsefly of personal guilt. So once it is full of ice cream and relaxed, boom, mush it with the stranger. I sincerely hope you will find these techniques helpful for dealing with your horsefly issue and not terribly annoying and clingy and desperate for attention and validation. And as we say in the business, good luck and gad speed.
0: Support for this American Two Truths but One is a Lie comes from Parents Without Borders. Need to rent a room over a garage from two people in their 50s who have procreated? Parents Without Borders can help you find your dream room and board. No private bathrooms. For a special offer, our listeners can visit Parents Without Borders and enter the offer code empty. Parents Without Borders. Offer code. Empty. When a fabric pills, you pick at it. Pick at it or ignore it until it wears away but what about the fabric of the American experience? That's a good question. Well, some also choose to ignore it pilling, while others pick, pick, pick away until the pills come loose and they can flick them off, so to better see the cloth underneath. The cloth is the United States, and sometimes people. This week on This American, Two Truths But One Is a Lie, we're going to begin a series about what's left when you start picking some of the pills away from the fabrics of our lives. These stories were submitted to us via a milk crate of interesting looking magazines I bought at an antique store in Great Falls, Indiana, for less than the tag was asking because I bargained with the shopkeep. And as the title may suggest, one of the stories is true. And one is a lie. And that's where you come in. Listener, We're asking you to reach out to us with your thoughts on which is which. With your help, we'll loosen the small fibrous balls that form on the surfaces of some textiles and reveal the rich tapestry beneath, meaning of course the country and those who live there. Our first story today comes from Whispers in the Dark magazine, the July 1981 printing. Behind the Wallpaper by M. Skosh It was a hot, hot summer when I moved into my dream house, the big blue house on the corner with white shutters and a fence and a yard. Little did I know that what I had dreamed was soon going to become a nightmare, much in the way that many dreams become nightmares slowly and over time so that you are able to overlook many warning signs until it is far too late to wake up because you are deep in the REM state, totally helpless. When I got my dream house with my dream yard, I went out and got a perfect dog for the yard, because it would have lots of room to run. She was a yellow lab named Moon, and she loved to play in the yard. But I noticed it was weird that when I would try to get her to come inside, she would not want to come in the house, and would stand at the bottom of the steps to the house and whine and whine. It was only later I would realize I think Moon was trying to warn me about the house other weird things started to happen. At night I would hear strange noises and could not find where they were coming from. I would come home and my many brass candlesticks would be moved around and it would look like somebody had lit the candles so that they were a little melted. I would hear doors open and close when nobody was around and I would feel a cold breeze when all of my windows were closed, and also it was a very hot and muggy summer. I did not have air conditioning at the time, and there was no fan near me when this would happen usually. I asked my friend who is a good problem solver to stay over one night and they did. Then in the morning, they left very quickly without a word and whenever I asked them to come back they said no and eventually stopped talking to me. For what felt like a long time I lived like this until I almost got used to it even though it was so weird. Finally, one day I saw my dog Moon scratching with her paw at the wallpaper in my kitchen, and she was really giving it a good scuffing. I was really surprised, and so I pulled her away from it, and I said, Why are you doing that, Moon? And she looked up at me with her puppy dog eyes and said, Because the voices asked me to, Mommy. Moon and I moved out and sold the house and never went back, and we lived in an apartment together, and even though there was no yard for her to run in, we were very happy to be out of that place and just went to the park instead. Well, we don't want to influence this game of This American Two Truths and a Lie by saying too much, so we're just going to move on without comment to the next story. This piece comes to us from the magazine Psychomech Warrior, Volume 1, and the piece is undated, untitled, and anonymous. The fate of many has passed through my hands, and it is a lot of pressure to live with, to know that the safety of the world has been maintained by the spiritual balance I am able to maintain by personal discipline and deep transcendental meditation, and not the kind of foofy meditation that a guru teaches you, but the kind that you discover within yourself when you are pushed to your breaking point and come out the other side, enlightened. I first became enlightened with two hands tied behind my back, no pun intended. In the back of a truck in a European country I can't name, on a government mission that hadn't gone totally according to plan because I had forgotten my code name. I am a forgetful guy and always have been, but nobody's perfect. I was doing my best to talk to the guy in the back of the truck with me, but I was groggy and my French is not great, and eventually I realized that his hands were tied behind him, too. So I got him to turn around so that we were back to back in the back of the truck and I untied him and then he made this move like he was going to just leave me there. Well, that was not going to happen. So I got into a low stance and quick as a puma or a lion, I got him in a leg lock. Finally, he untied me too and I asked him his name. I can't tell you what he said for national security, but I knew immediately that I had to help him get away from the truck and to safety for everybody's sake. A car pulled up real close behind us and I realized that it was the guy in the truck's friend, so I held onto the truck and helped the guy climb into the car so that he could get away. It was a two-seater or I would have gone with them. Besides, I wasn't done here yet. I put a potato in the tailpipe of the truck and threw myself off the back to safety. I got up feeling good about myself and watched the truck burst with smoke and fall off the bridge it was crossing. Later I saw on the news that they said it was a truck transporting fireworks and that it was an accident, but I knew the truth. Until today, I only ever told this story to my wife and the president's closest advisors, and now you have learned just one little part of what I know. Once it is safe to say more, I will write again, because the world deserves the truth. And that'll be the close of our stories for this week's edition of This American Two Truths and a Lie. If you think you know which story was true and which was the lie, feel free to reach out to us with your answer by emailing radio, radio, the podcast at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Nick Gogol. That's been our show. Uh, thank you for listening to Radio, Radio, the podcast again this week. Uh, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can use those ways uh, that we found recently. And we'll be back again next week. With a new episode, new segments, and an update on where I've gotten to in the meantime. Have a great week. Bye.
1: Dispatch. this is Eggplank149er. It's a long, tall drink to the top, but once you get there, baby, enjoy the view. Over.